So in preparation for this, my first Easter Sunday sermon ever, I asked a number of people what they remembered about past Easter sermons that, that was worth noting. You know, what stood out? And pretty much universally, everyone responded that they didn't really remember anything about past Easter sermons. I'll give you a minute to think about it. They might recall that they kind of liked the sermon, but they didn't remember any details. Or they might remember what they wore or what they ate on past Easter's, but really nothing about the sermon. So I figure this sets a pretty low bar for this, my first <laughs> Easter, Easter sermon. I stand up here knowing that you won't remember what I said, but you'll probably remember the casserole you might have just eaten out in the lobby, or you might remember the fancy new clothes you're wearing. But you know, as I thought about it, that's kind of a shame, because this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the Sunday that we celebrate is a key part of what sets us apart as Christians from all other faiths. And it sets us apart also from other organizations dedicated to doing good in the world. You see, if we don't have the resurrection, then is it possible that Jesus was just another good guy? In the model of Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa, was he simply a model for how we are to live in the world as we read aloud each week in the Gospels? How do we, some 2,000 years later, affirm in our hearts that Jesus is more than that, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One. And I think it's in the resurrection that we do this. On this Resurrection Sunday, we do it more than any other day. So I ask you, if you remember anything from this sermon, remember the resurrection. Sure, that's easy to do on a day like today, a sunny spring morning, as we sit here in our Easter Sunday best. But remember the resurrection on those dark days when we're sad or lonely or grieving or feeling a little lost. Remember the resurrection when we have a health scare or a loss or a setback. We don't get the resurrection without going through Good Friday. Remembering the resurrection is where we find hope, where we know that God is with us, even in darkness, especially in darkness. Today's gospel reading shows a number of ways that we might remember the resurrection. It's in the actions of Peter, of the beloved disciple, and of Mary Magdalene, especially Mary Magdalene, that we find ways that we might respond to the resurrection. It opens with Mary at the tomb early in the morning. She sees the open tomb, the stone removed, and naturally assumes that Jesus' body has been stolen. The grave has been robbed. She rushes back to Peter and the beloved disciple, and the three of them return to the empty tomb. The two young men in a kind of foot race that feels more at home in a junior high school than among two 20-something-year-old men. I kind of imagine Mary Magdalene rolling her eyes at this boyish one-upmanship. I got there first. The unnamed disciple, Peter and Mary Magdalene, all show us in different ways how our response to the resurrection might limit our belief. Now John's beloved disciple wins the foot race, and he bends down, and he looks in the vacant tomb, and he, he sees the wrappings that had covered the body. But he doesn't go in. 
Now, we're not told in the story, but what does it say about his belief that he stays outside? Is it doubt? Is he looking for clues of the grave robbing? Does he even think about the possibility of resurrection? We're told that he believed, but without understanding that Jesus must rise from the dead, we're unclear what he believed. Now, Peter, Peter marches past him and enters into the tomb. He sees the wrappings and also the cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It's neatly rolled up, set apart from the rest of the strips of cloth. Peter enters the tomb, but like the beloved disciple, he leaves perplexed. And we're told they return to their homes. For both Peter and the disciple, they don't even understand yet the idea of the resurrection. It may not even be a possibility. How many times do we, in the middle of pain, struggle to see any sign of light? How many times do we get stuck at Good Friday, at the cross, without the possibility of redemption, the possibility of resurrection? Now, it's dangerous to see the Gospels as any kind of historical record, as much as we may be tempted when we hear them. They're written by men, divinely inspired men maybe, but men nevertheless, men with agendas, with specific intentions. That said, there's little doubt that in some way, shape, or form, a woman or a group of women were the first to see the risen Christ. I mean, imagine, if the men writing the Gospels could have found a way to have one of the disciples, Peter, James, Philip, anyone, encounter Christ first, they would have done so. The tradition of mansplaining goes way, way back. (laughs) So while they they demean Mary Magdalene as much as they can, in the Gospel of Mark, she's demon-ridden. In other writings, she's a reformed prostitute. It's well established that she sees Christ first. So sorry, guys. While Peter and the disciple return in despair to their houses, Mary stays at the tomb. Sometimes so much of our belief is simply showing up, simply being present for the possibility of deliverance, of resurrection. But Mary is so caught up in grief that she ignores the two angels in white who suddenly and mysteriously present, are, are present in the, in the once empty tomb. And she doesn't recognize Jesus until he speaks. How easy is it in our own lives for us to miss Jesus and instead see a gardener, or an immigrant, or a poor person. Rabuni, she cries. And Jesus' response leads us to believe that she tries to cling on to him, possibly at his feet as she falls to her knees and bows down. Even in her greatest moment of encountering the resurrected Jesus as God, she tries to hold on to old patterns, old behaviors. In her reaction, Mary seems to want the resurrected Jesus to come back just as he was, as their teacher, their rabbi. On this Easter Sunday morning, how do we let our old lenses, our old ways of seeing things, keep us from seeing the resurrected Christ? Where do we see only brokenness, despair, and anguish when God made man crucified and then miraculously resurrected teaches us that even in darkness, there is hope. The brightness of hope, bright like the sun, is what is available for us to see in the resurrected Christ. 
As many of you know, we lost our dear Lillian Petroselli this past week. I was a part of the St. Peter's family, lucky enough to be present at her passing. She had had a tough night and an equally tough morning. She was tearing at the blankets, restless. She was trying to speak, but unable to say anything. But about an hour before she left, she became incredibly calm. A smile creased her face, and her entire body relaxed. And I imagine Lillian, in her anguish, looking into the empty tomb, anxious, still holding on to the familiarity of this life. Then as she hears her name, she turns, she cries out, Rabuni, teacher, and falls to the feet of the resurrected Christ. And because he has ascended, he allows her to cling on to him. And Fred's there, of course, and she's finally at peace. And that smile creases her face. As we remember the resurrection this morning, let's live in the comfort, the complete peace that is available to us in the resurrected Christ, the peace that passes all understanding. Let us see heartbreak, pain, and anguish for the temporary distractions they are, as real as they may seem in the moment, because in God's time, they are momentary. Let us live into the comfort that the resurrected Christ makes available to us, like Mary Magdalene shows us. Let's remind ourselves to see the resurrected Christ who's before us and run back to our friends, our family, back to the world and cry out, I have seen the Lord. Amen.